This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life. Only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success podcast. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we have Dr. Sam Alibrando with us. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm well. Very well. Thank you. Good. I'm so glad you're with us. And, uh, and in my words, I, I would call you an expert in emotional intelligence. But I know uh, you specialize in depth therapy, in mindfulness therapy, and you also are an organizational consultant to companies around the world to help them and their teams become emotionally intelligent. And so why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what's helped you become that uh, man you are today? Um. Well, I, I um, been working on a model for since I was in my master's degree many many years ago. We can do it in decades, if you may, uh, <laughs> over three decades. Um, where I, I was introduced to this work by a woman named Karen Horney. Uh, she wrote a book called Our Inner Conflicts, uh, written back in the fifties, and it's still in print today. So it's a testimony to her work. Uh, in, that, in that, she says, we resolve conflicts, internal conflicts, by either moving against people, moving toward people, or moving away from people. And when I heard that, I, I was in, immediately kind of fascinated about that whole idea. Because in its simplicity, it seemed like it covered the main ways we interpersonally move. And, and I realized it wasn't just how we move when there's internal conflicts, even though that would be the case, but it was also the way we move in general. Uh, when I went off to, uh, off to get my doctorate in, in clinical psychology, um, I came across the work of a man named Wilford Bion, I think one of the greatest minds of the 20th century in the area of psychoanalysis. And he said, we connect to other people one of three ways, either through love, hate, or knowing. And I, I immediately connected the two people. So uh, where love is the moving toward and hate is moving against, and to know something, you have to be able to move away from it. And, and that was the birth of what I call, I've come to call the interpersonal triangle or interpersonal triad. And then later I called it the three dimensions of uh, emotional intelligence. Um, I interestingly got a call one day after I was doing some workshops and this man called me and he started asking me questions. He just, can I ask you some questions? I said, certainly. And he started asking me about my source material, uh, which no one's ever asked me about my source material, but I was happy to talk about it. I basically just told him what I told you. And after it was all done, he says, I thought you stole our model. Uh, apparently, there was a man named Elias Porter out of the University of Chicago who said there's three ways we're motivated, either through altruism, 
through uh, agency or assertiveness or through analysis or analytical. And it turns out that Elias Porter, separated, separate from the other two people, had the same three. Um, and so, uh, and I began to think about this more and more about where else does it show up. And one way it shows up is in the area of, of um, protection. Uh, most people remember from biology class, the two and now the three ways an organism protects itself is through f- what? Fight, flight, and then freeze yeah. and appease. And those are the three movements. Fight is moving against. That's when we think we can take them. And um, flight is when uh, is the moving away. It's when we don't think we can take them, but we can exit. And freeze and appease is when we don't think we can take them and we can't exit, so we abdicate. Um, Got it. So what does that mean to you? So when you think about moving toward people, so let's talk about that in real world terms today and, and to our you know, we have a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs and people in the business world uh, listening. And so when you think of that, what does that mean to move towards somebody? What's that mean in our everyday life? Uh, well, let's take, like you said, in the executive world, executives tend to be more power oriented uh, and sometimes more analytic or strategic. So sometimes the moving toward dimension is the one that are the most challenged in. What would that look like? Each one can either be positive or negative, but let's talk in this case about what it would look like for an emotional intelligence or the positive. That, that would be listening. The capacity for empathy is a moving toward capacity because the moving toward uh, psychological orientation of moving toward is the other. So it's how well do we listen to the other? How can we empathize with the other? Uh, how, it's a service attitude. Uh, it's a collaboration attitude. Moving toward is about convergence. Moving against is about divergence. So, con- so in the moving toward, it's about converging. So a good executive is going to put together a team of advisors or leadership team, and he's going to make sure that they work together as a unit. And that would be a, a moving toward function as well. So would you say, so today I was with our chief investment officer, um, John Fisher, and, and he and I talked about the, uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, and I don't even remember where I heard it, but it was years ago, and I heard feel, felt, found, right? So when, so, so when you're in a discussion with somebody and somebody gives you their point of view, um, you can certainly agree with them by saying, hey, I, I can see how you feel that way. I once felt that way because of X, Y, Z, and what I have found is, Blah, 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 right? You go on and so forth. So would, would you say that's in line with that? Is that different from that? Have you heard that perspective before? Give me your thoughts on that. I, I think that would be tapping quite a bit into the, the, the moving toward. Now, just a quick note. Um, it, it's artificial to separate these three dimensions because uh, we're always functioning in three dimensions. But with that being said, um, the, the, the feeling felt part is definitely – uh, connecting with that other person and moving toward is about connecting. Uh, so to, to feel what they're feeling, uh, talk about your own experience. The found part could dip into uh, where you're starting maybe to become a little more advisory. Uh, but it also right. could be a sharing attitude. So in that case, it, 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 but it would definitely be tapping very strong into what I call the blue sex, the blue dimension. I I I color-coded them in my book um, because people got tripped up with the language. The people, very, very smart people. I I live in uh, Pasadena, California, Los Angeles, 
and I work a lot of people with for people from Caltech and also people from JPL. I mean, these people who have 160 IQs, and, and they would go, "Am I pushing forward now?" And I'm going, "No, no, you're moving <laughs> you're moving against was, the opposite direction here." But yeah. Well, what I found was people understand colors, so I took the three primary colors, and these are the three primary ways we uh, interact with our world. So I gave blue moving toward, I gave red moving against, right? We see red, um, and I gave yellow moving away. So the three primary colors, the three ways we relate. And uh, what you just said about the, the feel, felt, found is definitely tapping quite a bit into the blue, blue energy. Yeah. Well, I think too is it's not putting that wall up against it, right? Because you can give me feedback on something, and if I immediately discount it, then you're going to put a wall up, and now I've got a wall up, and now the the relationship goes nowhere because we're not going to be together and be transparent, right? So right. if I can acknowledge your feelings and and talk about how you feel, then uh, that wall is broken down, and it's better for communication. It's it's a higher level of emotional intelligence, in my opinion, and it just makes for a better overall conversation. Absolutely. So when when the blue fails in that case, right? If 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 the blue fails we tend to go to one of the negatives of the other two dimensions. And what you just described is going into the red, negative red, where you become defensive and uh, you, you're posturing and you want to win. Uh, uh, and so it, when you can't do the healthy blue, you're going to go into one or the other. You're either going to disconnect by going unhealthy yellow or you're going you're gonna to fight and, and make it a battle. Uh, and that would be the unhealthy red. And you're, you're emphasizing- so, so, so let's talk about real quick on that. So you're working with, you know, leaders and CEOs and presidents of companies all over the world. You know, there's, there's a thing called pride, right? Or there's a thing called just being competitive. And so how do you find or how do you teach people and leaders to learn this and be better at it versus just immediately throwing up the hand and saying, ah, I'm the leader. I got this. It's kind of not that they're saying it's my way or the highway, but you know, you, you see that sometime uh, with, with other leaders. So how do you help them with that? Well, one thing I'll do is help them differentiate healthy red from unhealthy red. So what's a healthy red version of pride? That would be confidence. That would be self, self, a positive self concept. It would be, uh, trusting yourself uh, until you're proven otherwise. Uh, unhealthy red in the pride would be arrogance. It would be uh, an attitude, I'm better than you. Uh, and not, not, in, not in a qualitative way, not a quantitative way. Um, and so uh, I would help them try to discern, because if they're getting confounded between what's a healthy red versus an unhealthy red, that's a good place to start. Um, and competitiveness. There's, uh, we wouldn't be talking to each other now um, if it wasn't for the Homo sapiens' capacity for competitiveness. We are always trying to be better than either the opponent or our own selves. So we keep striving, and, and that's why we have so many remarkable technological advances. Um, so uh, there's a healthy competitiveness, but when when there's a need to work together and we are competitive, then it's an unhealthy red at that point. Yeah, if that I'm fighting for power within a senior leadership team, then I'm going to corrupt and uh, disrupt the flow of that team. And in that case, that competitiveness then is unhealthy. 
So let's talk about those three dimensions of emotions uh, from the book. Is is number one uh, for people listening, finding the balance. Yeah. Number two, heart, and number three, mindfulness. Uh, let's talk about those in order, starting with finding the balance. What's that mean to you? No, no, no. The fi- finding the balance would be the finding be, the balance of power is the first one, and then finding the balance of heart, and then finding the balance of mindfulness. So you're finding the balance of all three: power, heart, and mindfulness. And so, what's the best uh, best tactics, if you will, from the you know your your teachings and learnings from leaders around the world? What is that uh, that you find? is the best thing to help with power or finding that balance? Well, what, 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 um, the, the, the formula, if you may, uh, I, I like to call it a roadmap uh, because it's so fluid because uh, any given time we could be out of balance in any number of ways. But for example, if I get out of balance, for example, uh, in the power dimension, so I'm going negative red, I'm, I'm being uh, feisty and arrogant or critical uh, or defensive. Um, the, the trick is this, and here's one of the key ideas. I often joke and say the three things I'm the most proud of in my life are my two children and this idea. And the idea is the, the focus is, shouldn't be on what we're not doing right. It should be on what we're not, I'm sorry, let me say that again. Our focus shouldn't be on what we're doing wrong. It's, it's what we're not doing right. Uh, so the focus, if I'm being critical and negative red, my focus should then turn to what blue do I need to bring in or what yellow do I need to bring in? So so the trick of what I call working the, uh, the triangle is, so here I am. I'm going lopsided red. Then then if, if I want to get myself back in balance, again, finding the balance, I may want to stop and say, Sam, stop, and I want you to listen to what the other person's saying. You don't have to agree with them. Just listen to them and let them know you understand what they're feeling. That would be a blue thing. A yellow thing would be, all right, Sam, take a breath. In fact, take three breaths. Step out of the batter's box. Don't worry about winning. Step out and calm yourself down. That would be a yellow place to go. So... The trick in getting finding the balance is finding out where you're going out of balance and then bringing into your behavioral repertoire and your attitudinal repertoire the ones you're not doing. Did that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm actually listening to that too, is that that also works not only in business, but in your personal life, right? Whether that's your spouse or your, your children. And, you know, it's uh, that, that's great advice is to not win the battle with your kids or win the battle with your spouse, but to sit there and breathe and listen. Well, uh, uh, I mean, let me talk about that because it is so true. Um, uh, here I have, I have two masters. I, I have my bachelor's in psychology from Rutgers. I have two masters and one doctorate. And my wife comes in the room and she's upset. She could be angry or she could be sad or whatever. Uh, and I, with, with all those degrees, I still, immediately go into threat zone. I, <laughs> right. If I can escape, Red flags are going up and everything. If I can escape, if I can distract her and, and slip out the back door, I'll do it. And otherwise, I'll get really defensive, right? Yeah, but blah, 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 blah. You and I didn't. Blah, blah, blah. And what's missing? It, the blue's missing. The empathy's missing. The heart's missing. And as many degrees as I have, I have to still remind myself, Sam, just listen. 
And sometimes I'll just stop there and go, I can see why you're upset. Or I, I, I you know, it, I'll do the feel, felt, found thing with her. And all of a sudden, I'm back in the balance and she feels heard and she gets back in the balance. Um, if I try to keep escaping, she'll feel me abandoning her. And if I try to defend myself, she won't feel heard. Uh, and what she really wanted was to feel heard. And that's a blue thing. Um, and so, the boy, you're right. It, it really shows up in the home. Yep. Yeah, that's great. That's good feedback. Um, and so when you think about mindfulness, um, you know, I, I said earlier that you specialize in mindfulness therapy. I, I'm a believer uh, in fact, my nine-year-old and I just did it last night, um, but is um, drawing a blank on the word. I, I use Headspace uh, oh, yeah. for med- meditation, for meditation, and yeah. and so when you think about that, that's what I hear when I when I hear mindfulness therapy. But tell us what that is. What's that mean? Okay, uh, the uh, mindf- mindfulness therapy. I love it. Um, the I, I, I was trained in a more psychoanalytic, psychodynamic, uh, although you can't help getting other, um, other uh, training along the way. But more recently, the, this idea of mindfulness has made its way from, from kind of Eastern religion or philosophy into Western thinking, and it's kind of been adopted and adapted to psychology. And, and really what it's about and I, I talk about this in my book, it's how to go into that mental space where you become the observer. Not the reactor, but the observer. You become the knower. You make a connection uh, in, a, in a dispassionate way as possible. So here I am, I'm starting to feel angry. Uh, I'm being defensive and angry at my wife. If my mindfulness kicks in, I'm gonna observe the feeling of threat, you know, I'll remember my feelings when mom used to get angry at me uh, or whatever, but I, uh, in the mindfulness state, you kind of observe it and hold it. And when that happens, it creates space. It creates mental space. It's like you got more RAM in your mental computer so you can process this thing without becoming uh, corrupted or reactive. Um, and, and the whole practice of mindfulness, and as you apply it to clinical or executive coaching, is teaching people to, to feel their feelings without reacting to them. Part of being an observer of your feelings is to feel them. I just wrote a blog, which I call, when you get in trouble, call AAA. And that first A is acknowledge, the second is allow, and then the third is action. So you you acknowledge you're feeling something or thinking something. You allow the feeling to happen without uh, just feeling it. And then you, and if there's action to take, you take action. Uh, So. uh, That's great. I'm writing that down. That's that's a really good piece to really think about the the AAA part. I want to talk about the headspace because uh, the, the research is phenomenal in terms of the benefits of meditation. Uh, and it, it's one of the ways in which we can build, uh, as I call it, mental RAM. Um, you, you, your, your listeners may know that the brain is very artificially broken into three or four sections, right? We have the brain stem, which is responsible for heartbeat, 
and hormones and that kind of thing. And then there's the cortex, which is the thinking brain, if you may. And then in the middle of the two is, is called the limbic system. It's the emotional brain. It's the part of the brain that whatever, anything that affects us is coming from the limbic system. It's the, it's the affective part of the mind or the brain. And, and, um, and sitting on top of the limbic system in between that and the cortex is a thing called the prefrontal cortex. And there's the center of emotional intelligence. The prefrontal cortex is the mediator of emotions. Uh, John, uh, uh, what's his name? I want to say hate. I think his name is John hate. I'll check that in a second. Um, he has this amazing analogy. He says, think of an elephant, big elephant, and then a little person sitting on the nape of that elephant's neck with reins. And he says, when the elephant is calm, that little man or woman can move that elephant around and use it for transportation and lifting and all kind of good things. But if the elephant gets spooked, if it gets afraid or angry, it becomes uh, 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 out of control and, and, and overrides the little man. Well, he says, think of the little elephant as our limbic system and the little man as our prefrontal cortex. And, and what mindfulness does, and especially meditation, it builds the prefrontal cortex. They've done studies of uh, control groups where they have people meditate for uh, the experimental group. They'll meditate uh, for one month. Uh, and then they have a control group who they sit down, but they don't meditate. They do something else. And uh, they measure the, the mass of the prefrontal cortex before and after. And then the group that meditated, the mass grew in the prefrontal cortex. So wow. the med that meditation can actually build that part of our brain that makes us more emotionally intelligent, more in control of our elephant, if you may. Wow, that's, wow, that's a big, a big deal. deal. So, so when you, you, what would you recommend for people to do meditative? Obviously, the more the better. But I mean, is this a everyday thing? Is this fifteen minutes a day? Is it you know three four times a week? What would you recommend? Let me tell you what I do. I I am a Type A personality, so I see things like meditation and exercise as a waste of time when I should be productive, yep. right? Which is a really strange and very psychotic narrative I tell myself. Uh, I'm setting chat with you. So, uh, I guess. <laughs> uh, so um, but uh, I grew up Catholic, and uh, a couple Lents ago, I decided. Uh, actually, it was this last Lent? Uh, just for the heck of it, I said I I'm going to meditate every day, and I know myself well enough. I, I used Headspace, and I used uh, another app as well, uh, and I did one for uh, a chakra thing, right? So. But I meditated every morning, uh, and after Lent was over, I kept doing it. So I, I will dedicate in my own kind of uh, neurotic way. I only do 10 or 15 minutes every day. I know people who meditate 30 minutes, an hour. I know some people who do more than that. I don't know when they find the time. God bless yeah, them. Me but uh, I, I think even 5 or 10 minutes every day can be very beneficial. Okay, well, that's good. Good to know. So, um, something I saw re researching you last night was your the word liar, L I A R. What does that mean? And tell our listeners, walk us through that your system that you have for the word liar. Sure, uh, it's an acronym, obviously, for why it's so hard to change. 
why why is it hard for adults to change? Um, uh, and the 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 L stands for limbic. So it, it's 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 pretty obvious that once we get into a, a way of being or behaving or thinking even, uh, the, it can get pretty stuck. And and the uh, and so the L stands for the limbic system, uh, um, which we already just talked about. I stands for intense, that um, that by virtue the limbic system is affective, so it, it has an intensity to it. Uh, our our cortex doesn't really create that kind of experience, but the limbic system does. So uh, the A stands for automatic, that these things are are now automatic for us, uh, and. So many things that we do are automated or automatic. Um, the brain uh, loves to save energy. So once it learns something, it doesn't like to unlearn a, a new thing. They, they would have rats go through a maze with probes in their head. And there would be all this brain activity when they're training a rat to go through a maze to get food at the end. Um and there's this um, immense amount of energy being used. But then after the rat learns the maze and, and how to get to the food, you'll look at the graph of the brain activity and it's, it's minimal. It's, it, once the brain learns it, it likes to keep it that way. So, so much of what we do is automatic. Now, that's great. I do not have to read the directions every night to brush my teeth. Uh, it, it's automatic now. In fact, I am so good at brushing my teeth, uh, I can actually watch TV at the same time. I can walk and brush my teeth at the same time. It's amazing. You should see it, right? <laughs> right, but, exactly. But we all have these things, and our, our thinking patterns are automatic. Uh, how we do things become automatic. Um, so that's another reason why it's so hard to change. And the R stands for resistance to change. So the liar is a description of the brain that it's, it comes from the limbic system, not, not the cortex. And we fool ourselves to think that we think through most of our problems. Uh, it's once we get a certain mindset set in, uh, we, we think we're thinking through. I, I'm amazed uh, of this election that just happened. Uh, and after all these, after these uh, couple months, with the new administration, there are people, as you know, who are just outraged by this man who's, who's our president now. Uh-huh. And there's a whole other group of people who think he's doing a great job. And they're looking at the same event. And each one of them can justify why they think that. Um, and it, it amazes me how we can be so automatic in our, in our thinking. So the, so the, the, to change, we have to disrupt that the, 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 the liar part of our brain, right? We have to unsettle it. Uh, my first book I, I call Follow the Yellow Brick Road, How to Change for the Better When Life Gives You Its Worse. And my premise in that book, which is obviously, I take the Wizard of Oz as a metaphor for the change process. And my first, I have thought five uh, theses or five uh, ideas and the first one is we don't change in Kansas, we change in Oz. Uh, that's especially true for adults. And unless something gets unsettled, 
very often we will just keep doing the same thing we always do. Uh, But for those of us who go to take a trip to Oz and we stay through the Oz experience, uh, then we have a chance of learning some new things. Well, don't you think to to go above and beyond? I mean, when I talk to people, it's the people that go above and beyond, the people that are great, the one percenters, the two percenters. It's more than just about surviving. It's it's more than just about uh, thriving. Uh, But most people in the world um, will only do what they need to do to survive. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yep. And that's the least amount of energy again, right? Least amount of disturbance. And so when you think about that, how do, I mean, how do you build discipline? And that's maybe a tough question or a dumb question, but how do you build discipline? So you got that, that man or woman listening right now and they're like, man, this guy's making total sense. I get what he's saying, but gosh, where do I start? How do I start it? Okay. Good question. Tough question, complex answer, right? Uh, what, one of the interesting things in organizational psychology that they're, that they're looking for you know, at one time it was IQ. How smart were people? And they measured IQ to hire people. And then recently we're trying to figure out ways, how do you measure emotional intelligence? But we, we still try to do it anyway. But one of them is, 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 is resilience. They found that that variable is really critical. And the other one is people who have a capacity to learn. And I believe that people who have a capacity to learn are people who can tolerate ambiguity they can tolerate Oz experiences. They can tolerate turbulence. They don't hide from it. They don't fight it. They go with it, right? And so uh, for people who want to grow, I, I think some people are just naturally better at it than others. But I think that any of us, or most of us, I should say, uh, except for the most malignant, if you may, um, have uh, can use that the D word you just used, discipline. So, so how do we discipline ourselves to stay in the unknown or the ambivalence or the Oz or the emotional states long enough to, uh, uh, to learn from it? And that takes mindfulness. That's where we get back to that mindfulness idea where we can. And when we do that, we build more RAM. We, we increase our prefrontal cortex. Um, how do we do that? Well, I, I think... It's a decision. It, it, you have to learn about it. Uh, a, a phrase that I use often with executives, because executives don't have the luxury of going through three years of psychotherapy. Uh, so I use a phrase, conscious and intentional. How do you raise your consciousness and then be intentional? And so uh, maybe someone would say, next time you, you have a disagreement with your spouse, stay in it a little bit. Don't, don't get defensive automatically. Or at work, when things get tough, um, you, know, you, you may want to be intentional about trying to stay with the emotional state and not defending against it. The other thing, and I, and I talk about this in my first book, the, one of the disciplines is what I call resourcing. We all have to go on our journeys ourselves. Dorothy had to do that journey for herself. For I see it as the journey of her be, be, uh being a girl, becoming a woman. That's what I, I, I kind of structured us. And we all have to do the journey ourselves, but we can't do it ever alone. We need resources. And Dorothy had the munchkins, which I call the community. And she had Glinda, which I call her mentor. And she had Toto, which I call our friends, our friendships. So I think we have to tie in 
to those resources uh, to do this work as well. Uh, so you may want to tell your manager, look, I'm working on the risk taking. Uh, bear with me while I do that or help me think through. A lot of times you want people to help us think through something is another way to do that. So yeah, that, that support system is huge. I'm sorry? So that support system is huge. And we talk about it with, you know, whether it's advisors in our firm or, uh, or people on our team, our staff team, whatever it may be. I mean, when there's support at home, when there's support in friendships and families and all that stuff, those people are usually wildly successful compared to people that don't have the support system uh, may not be as quite as successful. Absolutely. It's, it's it really holds them back. It's, it's amazing that uh, there, you, we all know about that study of the Italian community in Pennsylvania, I think it is. And they just lived beyond average years, and they went in and studied them, and they, they ate like Italians eat. They ate sausage, and but but if your <laughs> heater broke down, um, three people would be at your door within within that day, helping you take your old heater out and put a new one in. Or if you got sick, they would be bringing food to you. Uh, they had a, a remarkable, integrated, very blue, if you may, uh, community. And um, that support system, uh, and 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 as a as a businessman, you know that how much importance culture, how much the corporate or the organizational culture plays, and, and cultures that are supportive or support support, right? Um, they often they often move uh, way better. They 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 deal with things much better than than. Than where there isn't that kind of support, I um, in the metaphor of the Wizard of Oz, uh, Tin Man represents the heart, right? Lion represents power, Tin Man represents heart, and the Scarecrow represents knowing or mindfulness. And, and Dorothy's job was to bring those three parts of herself together in a in a balanced, synergistic way. When she finds each of her uh, companions, uh, they're all in their negative state. For example, you remember the lion, how he was a bully, he was mean, and by the end he was courageous, right? Uh, right. But the, the key, one of the key notions or images we associate to the Tin Man is oil. Uh, and that love or blue or support becomes the oil to make things move better. So you, you, you couldn't be more right about how important uh, support, supportive networks are to uh, healthy functioning, whether it's organizational or family or community. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called uh, The Advantage by uh, Patrick Lincioni. I don't know if you've sure, uh, yeah. seen that one or not, but he talks about really the two requirements for success in any organization. They have to be smart and they have to be healthy. And, you know, the healthy stuff is, you know, minimal politics, minimal confusion, high morale, high productivity, all that stuff, low turnover. And that's the stuff we need to focus on in our cultures versus the smart side. Now, that can obviously ruin a business, right? The financial side, the strategy, the marketing, yep. technology, whatever. But so many companies that are great, they focus on the healthy side more than the, the smart side, which is in line with what you're saying. You have to have enough smart. Absolutely. But once you have the smart good enough, then the healthy mix is the real differentiator after that. And I don't have the stats to back this up. Maybe you do. But I think somewhere in the book, too, if I remember correctly, he even talks about you, you can take an average IQ, 
thankfully, right? Myself, uh, take an average IQ, but having a discipline to focus on the plan and focus on the healthiness of the culture yep. that will beat a extremely high IQ with very low uh, EQ, emotional intelligence. Exactly. Every time. The, the research is consistent. Uh, you, you need to have enough smarts, like I said, to perform the job. If, uh, if, if JPL called me tomorrow and said, we'd like you to come over here and work as an engineer, I would tell them, uh, uh, no, you're, you're going to waste your time and money, and I might crash something into the moon. Uh, <laughs> but once you have enough smarts, the thing that really, like we said, differentiates. Um, well, uh, I'm trying to rethink of his name. Uh, Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, yep. I, 10,000 hours. Yes. He, in, in one, I, I forget which book it is, Outliers, I believe. Uh, he he's shown that uh, an IQ after a certain point not only doesn't make any better, sometimes it can actually make it worse. Um, so somewhere around you know 130, 140, anything above that, it's almost it, it's great maybe for playing uh, uh, mind games or uh, uh, trivia, trivial, sure. but it may not it doesn't add that much value. But really, emotional intelligence does. So what are you finding now um, th that's really helping people become great or live their true potential in their life? I mean, again, you're traveling to all sorts of countries and you're seeing it from all different cultures. But I would assume, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I would assume no matter what culture you're in, there's still those those core disciplines that need to be hit to live your true potential. Is that true? Oh, yes. I, I think that it's it's common to all human beings. Uh, although cultures do have uh, a, uh, an effect or – so – and I don't look at it as black and white. I look at it as a bell-shaped curve. Uh, the, the, for example, shyness, uh, not that that's a bad or a good thing. But uh, in, in terms of a bell-shaped curve, there's a lot less shy people. There, there's one country that has the least amount of shy people. You want to guess which one? America. No, they're they're no. That was a good guess, though. I'll give that's you. That's my uh, that's my IQ score going no, down. No, 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 no. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. Israel. Okay. Israel had the most least amount of shy people, and Asian countries had the most shy people. But that doesn't mean that all Asians are shy, and it doesn't mean that all Israelis are bullies or or very extroverted or, or aggressive. Sure. Aggressive is a better word to say, but. In terms of the distribution, culture really does affect how some of these things. So um, you might argue that Northern European cultures maybe are a little bit more moving away. And maybe Italian and Greek cultures are more moving toward or moving against. Uh, Israeli cultures more moving against, right? Uh, but I, I believe that this is, per, this is true for all homo sapiens and, and – you, you have to understand and respect a culture, uh, but I think what's common is still common. So what would that number one common theme be across all those cultures? Oh, I, I guess I would be tempted to say what are the three themes. Okay. Because the three would be power. We, ha we need a sense of agency. We need to have a sense like we have some control over our life. Uh, then we have to have heart, which is – relationships and and we we're no we're not a, we're not really a, a true human being until we love someone 
or love something, you know, that's that's passionate, uh, and that we're moving away. We we are reflective. We need time to ourselves. So I, I, it's so hard for me to say one thing. I, I have I, I'm tempted always to say all three. Let, let me talk to you a little bit a second about the agency thing, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, we we don't do well when we are don't feel like we have control over enough parts of our own life. Uh, uh, there's there's a great documentary called Stress, uh, and are we allowed to say the names like you Netflix? can say whatever you want? Okay, it's on Netflix. Okay. Uh, Write that down. I have to watch that. And in it, there's a really fascinating uh, thing. They were studying a uh, – I forget what kind of primates. They were either orangutans or some kind of primates. And they were studying these different troops. And the, the thing that they were looking at was heart disease issues. So they would, they would take the, the blood from the, the different members of the troop. And, um, and what they found – it was interesting – the alpha males versus the beta males. So the alpha males are the ones who were calling the shots. They were the leaders. And then the beta males. Guess which ones had the greatest amount of heart disease? The uh, alpha. You, no, I'd say the beta. You would think so. You're tempted to say alpha because they had all the stress of that responsibility. Right. Uh-uh. The betas. The betas had higher cortisol. They had higher uh, – um, uh, what do you take statins for? Um you're out of my league now, Doc. <laughs> um, they had more <laughs> cholesterol. They had more cholesterol. Okay, they, yeah. they, they had higher blood pressure uh, and signs of stress and depression. They had higher amounts of depression, along with the <laughs> females. Um, and the males who were alphas didn't. Uh, and the thesis, of course, is, is obvious. They, they, they had control, and the rest of them didn't. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, that, that in itself is fascinating to me how important it is for us to have a sense of agency and power in our life. That uh, the lion doesn't have to have control over everybody around them, but they sure want that, that lion part of us that wants to have our pride, because you know lions are very territorial. Um, they, they have their own little patch, a uh, uh, kingdom, if you may. But here, here's an interesting That's part. That's fascinating. Here's, here's the interesting part of the story. Uh, the one troop, the alpha males went out hunting. And they left the beta males back with the females. They left the girly men back with the uh, with the with the girl. <laughs> and okay. they ate some bad meat, and they all died. Um, and so the troop was left with just beta males and females. And what happened was they became communal. They became consensual. They became so they they became um, uh, socialists, if you may. And all of the heart disease reversed. So the cholesterol went down, blood pressure went down, stress, uh, cortisol went down, and they had this highly functioning communal system. And then when the babies started becoming adolescents, some of them started thumping their chests to become the alphas, and they got slapped down. They say, uh-uh, we're not going to do that here. So isn't, isn't that fascinating? I, I always fascinating. thought that was a, a fascinating um, uh, event that happened. But yeah, absolutely. So, so on the flip side of that, those are the top three things that you would say bring out the greatness in people. I mean, what would you say 
or, or what what are the things that people are doing that let me let me rephrase that. So you know, what are you finding that? Uh, yeah. Uh, where am I at here? I got. I know what you're asking. What what derails us? What's the yeah, thing? So what? Yeah. So what derails us? So when you look at um, you know the lives of people, those are the things that make us great. But what are the things that derail us from being great? Okay. Now before I gave you a very complex answer, uh, this time I'm going to give you a very simple. It's a four letter word, and it begins with F. Uh oh, here we go. What is it? Fear. Fear. Uh oh. Then my listeners know there's gonna be a there's gonna be a question coming right after this. <laughs> I ask the same question every episode about fear. Ah. Uh, but you may answer it without me even having to ask. So I'm looking forward to hearing this. Okay. You want me to say more, or do you want to ask the question? Well, let's see if let's just see because you already know your answer, and the listeners already know my question. But my question is always. Fear drives people, but it can also harm a lot of us. And oh. how many of the fears you personally put in your mind or, or, or your clients or whoever around the country have put in your mind, how many of the fears we put in our mind actually become true to the magnitude we believe them to be in our own brain? Seldom. Yeah, right? And that's what everybody says. They usually pause and they say, well, none of them, right? Or very few of them. Yeah. A so. broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> that's Right. So is that in line with what you were going to talk about, about fear, the F word? Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, I would have got to that. We are a very anxious species. Uh, we, we, we are, our, our capacity so far outgrew our, our biology. Um, uh, and, and maybe part of our fears is part of why we evolved uh, to the way we did. Uh, again, it's, it's not exactly a bell-shaped curve, but it is a curve. There's a certain amount of fear that is is motivational and contextualizing, and then after a while, a certain amount of fear. Then there's a precipitous drop in functioning after that, where um, fear then becomes something that makes us do one of those three things: fight, flight, or freeze and appease. Um, and that goes back to uh, we then we become very aggressive. Uh, we become tribal. Uh, we look at ISIS, right? What's ISIS? ISIS is a tribe, and they're afraid. They have a whole narrative about their fear. They 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 wrap it in 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 some Islamic uh, belief system, uh, but but they they have a narrative about who us versus them, and there's a lot of fear. It, it, it's some of it is. Um, is reactionary fear, like in the moment, and some of it is is what I would call kind of implicit fear, which is like built into the psyche. Uh, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I was in Jerusalem one time, and I got lost, and, and I was in the old city. And anyone who's ever been in the old city, it's it's like this maze of alleys and stuff. So I'm walking around, and I sense someone following me, and over the I I look back. And this 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 man, uh, an, uh, obviously an Arab man, was following me. So I turn left, and he turns left, and I turn right, and he turns right. And I'm going, oh my God, this is the end of my life. I'm all afraid. And I I came to a dead end, and I go, this is it. And he comes up to me and oh, says, dude. Sir, are you lost? Can I help you out? Um, so my fear created a scenario, created a narrative in my head. Uh, that it turned out to be completely wrong. The, the, the man was actually trying to help me. Um, but we are a very anxious species. 
uh, and we become either very aggressive or we become very uh, adaptive. We kind of, we, we, uh, we, uh, there's a thing called identification with the aggressor. So we, we, we give our minds over to whoever the alpha is or we, or we become detached, right? So, uh, so that kind of fear can generate anger and complicity and uh, this and all kind of dysfunction. So what today, I mean, you look at the world we live in today and it's this fast paced, you know, kind of crazy world that we live in today. What, what are you finding are some tips that you could give, you know, one or two tips for people to find positiveness in today's, I think, uh, stress inducing world that we live in with got to have it now the you know, the technology with social media, I mean, all that kind of stuff. What do you find out there that creates that positiveness? I will, I will respond to that question as long as I give a qualification is I'm still working on this personally. Okay. Uh, because we'll take I, that. I, I have that kind of personality and I'm living in the stressful world as well. Um, here's a few things to pop in my head. One is breathing. The, the breath, taking deep breaths, reset, reset the body. Uh, we, our stress hormones come out of the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, then that's the fight and flight and freeze uh, part of us. The parasympathetic nervous system is the relaxed, calm part of us. Breathing moves us from sympathetic into parasympathetic. It's a key part of meditation. It's a key part of yoga. Uh, and uh, so taking time to do that. The second thing comes to my mind is connections. Uh, connecting with other human beings in non low demand connections. So you're not, it's not like you're trying to work out a serious problem with someone, but you're just enjoying someone's company. And that human exchange is so important from the day we're born. Uh, actually while we're before we're born, that human connection is part. We, we are ridiculously social. We, I think after bees and ants, we might be more social than even dogs. I'm not so sure about that, actually. But we're highly social, and we need that human connection to to kind of reset ourselves. Uh, getting a good night's sleep is my number three. Hmm. Sleep is so important. Uh, uh, four, of course, is exercise. Um, and then five is, is giving. Uh Giving something away, giving to other people, whether it's sharing a heart or a feeling with someone or, or helping people less fortunate than us uh, is another way. That's a major part of the 12-step program is that they call it service, right? If you want to, if you want to stop drinking, then start serving other people is one of the things that they, they tell people. Well, those are thoughts that so popped in my head. So, and those are great. And, and so then my um, question for you, you know, take a look at your business success now and, and, and the things that you've done to be successful in your world. If, if you could go back, uh, you said earlier, 10 uh, or sorry, three decades, uh, if you could go back 10 years or 20 years and give Dr. Sam Alibrando some feedback, what would that be? What would that advice be to yourself? Uh, work to live not live to work. Uh, being a type A personality, 
Uh, when I when the kids started coming along, I went into this mode of hyper responsibility. I work too much. So I would say live, not to live to work, but work to live. That that would be uh, probably one of the main things I would tell myself. Yeah, and I think that's great feedback. And and I was just on the uh, one of these podcast recordings the other day talking to somebody, a, a very successful CEO of a of a organization and. And we talked about, you know, just going home at night, uh, you know, with kids and, and your day is crazy. And then how do you turn it off? Right. How do you turn it off and become dad? I've got four boys and my wife. And and so how do we turn that off? And so I don't know if there's advice you have for that, but that was just kind of my thought is it's it's, it's that constant uh, challenge, I think, for busy type A driven uh, people is how do you turn it off and uh, become the, the, the family guy, which we all we all work on every day. A good stiff drink. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's how you become an alcoholic. I'm sorry. Yeah. That was a- no, no, that's wrong question. <laughs> um, I, I think creating a space in between work and home, uh, for some people, many people, that's a drive. Uh, you know, I, I'm a news junkie. Uh, I'm always better off when I listen to some nice music instead of listening to the latest crisis. Um, but at least creating some space. I think the breath is another way of doing it. Taking some really good deep breaths. Uh, yeah. To, to yeah, kind he, of. He talked about the not not having a call on the way home. Right. I'm guilty of that. Oh, uh, getting leaving the office and then being on the phone and then getting on the phone or getting off the phone as I'm pulling in the driveway and I've got kids running the car, right? There's no space between yep, business exactly. and dad. And so that is something I've got to get better at. So that's, that's good. You're just you know, validating what other people have said. So that's, that's great. So there's a, uh, executive I work with in, in the company and, uh, he didn't get back to me. I, I was sending him these emails and he apologized. He says, I went away for a four day weekend with my family and I went offline. How many executives go offline for four days? Right. Uh, the yeah. world didn't end and the stock didn't go down in his company. So I guess it was okay. I guess it worked. It was just fine, wasn't it? <laughs> so um, when you think about your life, and I, I believe life's about creating experiences and, and doing those things, what's, what's on the bucket list for you? What are you excited about uh, for your life? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because – uh, I've been trying to real practice this work to live thing. Um, I love traveling. Uh, so, and if I don't get manic when I'm traveling, I can really enjoy it. Uh, uh, music, playing it. Uh, I'm not very good, but I, I'm the only person I have to entertain sometimes is myself. <laughs> uh, and really having a, 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 a connection with my wife. You know, that it, we take our spouses for granted and they take us for granted. We, we get locked in. And like I said, the brain likes to do, likes to reduce ourselves to habits. And you, I can get in a habit of not, of taking her for granted um, and vice versa. And so to get back to that connection thing um, where I'm enjoying my kids uh, or enjoying my, my wife I, I think is a way of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that sometimes when you're on all day long, unfortunately they are the ones that may not get a hundred percent of you. We always use the image, right? You're, you're on your deathbed and, and who do you ask 
to come in the room. Can you please show me my portfolio? Uh, yeah, no. You know, can you show me my stock holdings? Or do you want to see your kids or your grandkids? Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. So, uh, Dr. Sam, where can our listeners find more of you? Are you a social media guy? Yes, yes. Uh, I am, a, I think it's Dr. at Dr. Sam Alibrando. That's D-R, not D-O-C. D-R, Sam Alibrando. And, but I want to tell your listeners, uh, on my website for my book, they can take a free assessment. Okay, great. Tell us about that. Uh, they can go online. The, uh, the website, can I tell you the website? Absolutely. www.power-heart-mindfulness.com. Uh, uh, so power, say that again, just since people are probably writing that down. Power-heart-mindfulness.com. Power-heart-mindfulness.com. And you, when you go on there, there's a, a link to take the interpersonal triangle inventory. And they, they, they have to sign in with, uh, and I'll send them a, 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 a password. And, and they can always, if they don't want to get mailing, they can take me off. I don't care sure. about that. Right. Uh, that's how we've set it up. And in it, you have to come up with a setting because we're different in different settings. Even though we have personality that's consistent, I'm different. I am different with a with an alpha male than I am with my wife than I am with uh, somebody else. Um, so I, I have people go in there and say, "Okay, this is me with my spouse," or "This is me at work." Uh, and so you specify the context, and then you answer twenty questions, and it'll tell you what your proclivities are, and then suggest how you might uh, grow. If, uh, oh wow. Great. So that's free to listeners to go on and do that. Yes. Uh, yes. So we'll put that in the show notes as well. It's built around the book, but they can still get the, the scores anyway. Sure. Okay. So we'll find you on Twitter. Uh, you on Facebook, Instagram, anything like that? I am. I'm on Facebook. Although uh, me and Facebook don't get along. I, I, I think <laughs> it's the same thing. I think it's Dr. Sam Alibrando. Uh, but if you go on my website, there's a link for the, uh, for the Facebook. Okay. And, and for Twitter too. Well, it's been a complete pleasure having you here and uh, just taking a ton of notes today. So I appreciate your, uh, your sharing your story and, and your experience uh, with us and our listeners. And I know people got a lot out of it. So thanks for being here. Brett, it's amazing how quick an hour went. I, it, so I, it was certainly enjoyable on my end as well. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you being on The Circuit of Success. All right. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.